Hello and welcome to episode 120 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall and joining me tonight are a very special guest, first of all. Uh, someone who, those of you who've been long-time listeners of The Winning Agenda would know very well. The Big Bad Wolf himself, Mr. Brian Holland. Welcome back, Brian. Ooh. <laughs> Can't believe it's already uh, been 20 weeks, by the way. I know, it's unreal. Uh, uh, so, yeah, for those of you who aren't aware, Brian hosted and edited and did a whole lot of work for pretty much the first 100 episodes of The Winning Agenda. So, we've missed him so terribly that we've decided to bring him back on. So, welcome back, Brian, for a, a, a short time, if not a long time. <laughs> um, a good time, if not a long time, as we're going to be discussing... Uh, the very exciting Station One pack, the Corp side. Um, so before we get into that, I'll introduce our other panelist, of course, uh, my lovable sidekick, Wilfred E. Horrig, everyone's favourite byroid. How wait, are you, Wilfie? Wait, wait, So why am I the sidekick? <laughs> I thought you were the sidekick. We'll discuss this later. Will we? No weapons allowed. There's, there's really no way of knowing. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, byroids are innocent. They've never done anything to harm any single human. And byroids are not um, like leading men, though, right? They're definitely a sidekick, if anything. This is also, I'm taller. <laughs> the sidekick's always shorter, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. All right. Well, we will discuss this later. But okay, I'm glad to be on this episode, Jesse. <laughs> it's good to have you here, Wilfie. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be discussing Station 1 which is the second pack in the Red Sands cycle. And we're going to mix things up a bit this episode. And instead of talking about the runner cards first, which we always usually do, always usually, which we always do, uh, we're going to now mix it up and talk about the Corp cards first, partly just because I love Corps so much more than runner cards. Uh, and I just can never wait to dive into them. So screw that. We're going to just dive straight into the Corp. Uh, the first card in the pack is Cider Adaptive Barrier. It's a four to res cast byroid barrier two strength it has the text cider adaptive barrier has plus one strength for each piece of ice protecting this server one subroutine and the run brian i'm going to throw to you first and you're welcome back what do you Ugh, think of cider adaptive barrier i did want to get a chance to preface that i haven't played any netrunner for like the last three or four packs at least so i'm not sure what's good um i mean this seems okay like a four cost two strength barrier i'm pretty sure isn't where i want it to be at any point but having it plus one strength for each ice protecting the server i mean if you're playing a glacier deck and you've ideally got at least two others that makes this a four cost four strength barrier with one subroutine still doesn't seem that good is there some sort of uh edge deck that plays like a million ice is ice and agendas a thing where there's just like nothing but ice in one server because then this thing's a four cost like what's realistically as high as you can get in like your worst game like what to six six five. ice on one server five to six like five is very... probably the most i've ever put yeah including this so as for each yeah. piece of oh, so it includes itself so it's four cost for three right yeah all right I, like whatever yeah <laughs> like it's just a yeah, barrier so if you got, got i'm not thrilled about this bastion yeah yeah um and you're i oh, know it's it's one influence but in literally any out of the deck bastion's better right Yep. No. I think you've pretty much summed that okay, up. Okay. Yeah. Wilfie, any thoughts? Nope. Sidekick, <laughs> Wilfred. Oh, uh, thank you for calling on me. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, not too many thoughts on this card. I will just say that I haven't seen Bastion be played in quite a while. I think it's well below the playability curve at the moment, especially. With this being an HP card and not a neutral card, so can't really see this seeing much play given how many other good HP ice you have these days that do things that are more appropriate to what you want to do than just uh, end one single end the run subroutine with maybe a medium to high strength. So, do you think that until your favorite IT department deck that is everyone else's least favorite deck is playable again. This is not going to be playable. Yeah, th this is ridiculous. I said on Jinteki <laughs> that IT Department was my favorite card, and everyone's like, what? How could you like it? I hate it. I think it's fair. Yep. I think it was fairly unfair. But, uh, yeah, I think maybe. But, you know, there really are just lots. The card pool, I think, has progressed to a point where 
it's really it's fairly easy to find good playable cards that fill basically any basic effect that you want in the game like if you want a mm. mid strength barrier even just in HB um you can play what can you play well, Fairchild 2.0 it's not even a barrier oh, but yeah, it does sure. a better job than yeah. this yeah. yeah I mean yeah not specifically a barrier but like the bar for playable cards I think is fairly high at this point in the game and something which just does something a little better and a little worse than a card which hasn't seen play for a while I think isn't so great cool I think we might move on to the second one it's another HB Ice it's Noreen 2.0 it's a code gate a bioroid it's a sidekick AP uh, four strength the runner can spend two clicks to break up to two subroutines on Noreen 2.0 the two subroutines both read deal one brain damage the corp may draw one card so this is, I think, the first 2.0 that only has two subroutines that we've seen. So it's a little lower value than the other 2.0s uh, in that if they do spend the two clicks, you're not even getting anything firing, which in my view sort of makes it a little bit, quite a bit worse than the others. But the ability is okay, I suppose. Brian, what are your thoughts? Submit. Excellent. Wilfie, your thoughts? <laughs> No, I'm I'm joking. Like uh, I, I think I, uh, I agree with you. Like I, I don't think there is another 2.0 bioroid that only has two subroutines, which again does make it significantly worse. That said, in the edge case, when you're, I mean, what influences this three? Okay, so you're probably not going to be playing this outside of HP, but in the edge case where maybe your opponent uh, loses a click or doesn't have enough clicks to get through it, and they just you know, and you spring this on them, and they take two brain damage, and you get to draw two cards, assuming they can't break it with any ice either. It's kind of cool if we, if we were to light a candle rather than curse the darkness. Otherwise, I think it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Good summary. Wilfie? Um, I will just say, first of all, that Victor 2, I think, also has two subroutines, and that card is uh, not so great nowadays. But this sort of is the same as um, the cards in the last pack we talked about that deal brain damage. I think Zed, and there was one other where brain damage is really costed as this huge thing that's going to really put the runner on the back foot if you can deal even the, even a point of brain damage to them. And the upshot of that is that you get you pay 6 and you get a 4 strength, 2 subroutine, 2.0, which isn't the best. Um, but I suppose it for, on a good note, it does deal multiple... It does deal two brain damage at once, like, if you can land the subroutines, and so it actually does put them into, like, Scorch Earth range or something, if you... or punitive counter-strike range, maybe. Um, so, it might... As we say, every time a brain damage card gets spoiled, it might be the um, shot in the arm that that sort of deck needs, but I don't think the power level is there for that, really. Maybe one day we'll get to critical massive brain damage. Uh, Alright, the next card is what I think could possibly be in the running for worst corp card of all time. <laughs> um, or at least worst corp card in the last year. And that is load testing. It's an HB operation, zero to play. When the runner's next turn begins, he or she loses click. So you're essentially click siphoning them uh, as the corp. But given that over the course of the game, we've seen corp clicks valued higher than runner clicks, sort of mystifies me how this is really worth a card slot in your deck, let alone if you just have this ability without having to spend a card, whether you'd ever do it as the corp. What are your thoughts, Brian? Um, yeah, look... Uh... As runner, sometimes I've been running against HB and in the late game and I'm already like pretty behind and I'm trying to make some glory runs and every click of mine is really important because against HB your clicks can be converted to credits and resources more so because you can click through ice uh, if you need to and when you're sort of planning out your turn while the corp is doing what they're doing, if they then eat a click of yours it can really mess you up. But that's a pretty big edge case because I think it's also important to highlight that in most of those situations, the corpse already on the track to winning 
without the need of this card before that point in the game. So, mm. yeah. Might be... Oh, Wolfie, you okay? <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's my... Uh, my next door neighbors are having a bit of a party and it looks like somebody's tripped the alarm. Uh, Wilfie, do you have any... Th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Terminal Directive is on the way. Uh, Wilfie, do you have any thoughts on load testing? Um, I think we, we were talking about it earlier, Jesse, and I think we summed it up that corp clicks are already generally thought of as being more valuable than runner clicks. And just having a card that does nothing but trade a click for a click is sort of, like, not really what any sort of corp wants to do. I think it goes against the fundamental principles of Netrunner, really. Yep. Excellent. Uh, so, unlikely to be seeing play in any winning agenda decks anytime soon. Uh, the next card is Bloom. It's the first Jinteki pa- card in the pack. Uh, it is a 2 to res, 3 strength, Codegate Observer. It's got two subroutines. The first is you may install a piece of ice from HQ protecting another server, ignoring all costs. And the second subroutine is you may install a piece of ice from HQ, HQ in the next innermost position, protecting this server, ignoring all costs. That's a pretty unique ability. We haven't seen in the history of Netrunner the ability to install a piece of ice mid-run closer in to the, as in on the next innermost piece uh, position which means that the runner's then going to have to encounter it because things like architects that install mid-run install them on the outside of the server. So this can really mess with the runner's math in a way that things like architects can't. And it's got the potential to save you quite a lot of credits given that you get to install another piece of ice on the most outer, uh, sorry, in the outermost position on another server, which might save you two or three credits. And even installing in the next innermost position on the current server they're running might even save you one or two credits. So this, yeah, has the capacity to um, pay for itself reasonably quickly. What are your thoughts, Brian? They, do they just yog through this? Is that still a thing? It's definitely a thing. I mean, okay, yog cool. being MWL means that uh, it's not right, yeah, as not common. As, not as, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting effect. This is definitely like you know, Greg will put this in his deck because he plays Jinteki and Jinteki is his faction and he wants to do all kinds of cool Jinteki shenanigans. Uh, I can't think of a consistent use for this card if you want to, like, uh, consistently win games in Netrunner. Like, there's certainly be cases, like any case in a game where you're like, you know, it'd be really sweet if I could just, like, flash this piece of ice in mid-run. That'd be really cool. Um, but I'm not sure if that happens consistently enough for you to want to put this in your deck, but yeah, I think you're like, it is a very unique effect, so it makes it kind of hard to evaluate. I'm curious to know what Wilfie thinks. I mean, Wilfie, does the idea that you could install this as the first piece of ice on a server and on turn one or two, when they don't have their breakers out, they face check it, you get another install, which is a click you save, and you still get to install your ETR ice behind this. Does that seem attractive to you as a as a line of play? The thing is that it's a very weird ability for an ice to have just because ice doesn't really fulfill the role in your deck of something that's good at helping you set up but not really that good later in the game like something like watchtower or builder or whatever, this reminds me of all those cards where it sort of gives you some benefit in terms of click efficiency um, and also does a bit of a weird thing, but not something that's that strange. Um, but um, let me mm-hmm. next to innermost position. That means mm. behind it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like... Yeah, so it does something that is a bit strange um, that you wouldn't normally be able to do, which is that it lets you, I guess, a bit better rearrange your positional ice, but that really doesn't seem like the sort of thing that's worth an ice slot in your deck, especially since ice is already the card type where you're least sure about being able to get the effect in a way that's beneficial to you. Like, say, even if it fires once and surprises the runner how many more times is it going to be useful during a game until they can just um ignore it entirely like 
the fact that it just gives you something that with a little tweaking you get to do normally makes it I think not the greatest use of a card slot mm, I guess it's also worth pointing out that you need the other ice in your hand which is not always going to be the case well yeah I mean the, the point is that you can install the ice normally right like it doesn't this card doesn't actually give you that much of an advantage even if it fires mm, true interesting uh any final thoughts on that one, Brian? No, no. No? Good. All right. The next card in the pack is another Jinteki card which deals with us. Could it be the new Tenma line? It's called Replanting. It's a double, one to play. Uh, it's got the double text, and then it says, as one of your, add one of your installed cards to HQ. Install two cards from HQ, ignoring all costs. So this is another one that's letting you fiddle around a little bit, but this being an operation is more consistent. And the ability actually, to me, seems quite useful. You get to retrieve something, perhaps an ice that you want to reposition or an asset that you no longer want in play or a campaign that's about to end or something else. Um, and then you get to install two cards from HQ, which, could, which means, uh, as our good friend Sammy pointed out to us the other night, you can do all sorts of fun mind games by bluffing your snares and returning them to hand and then re playing them out again if you want to. Or you can just use this as a value card and install two ice on the outside of servers and save a few credits. Uh, what are your thoughts, Brian? Uh, yeah, like you summed it up pretty well, I think. This kind of effect isn't something that I usually play Netrunner for. Uh, I, I, it is kind of cool. Um, you're not. Uh, I think you should also point out that you're not actually gaining any uh, click advantage from this because it is a double. Um, mm. But yeah, I think the yeah, the, the mode like it's it's fairly it's fairly versatile, I suppose. Um, when I last played, uh, deck slots were really really tight, so my concern would be: is this card good enough to be able to fit in your deck? Mm, almost certainly not, Wolfie. I think the thing is with this card, as Brian said, it doesn't actually offer any click advantage and the idea of being able to save a lot of credits by either putting two ice somewhere where you have a big servers already saving lots or playing some mind games or getting some efficiency with snare psychic field and stuff like that is that those kind of things don't really go in the same deck, like it's really hard to play a deck that has enough assets that you can actually do something tricky with this that um, that advances your game plan in addition to having the ability to use it as a sort of weirdish economy card. Like, I think if it was uh, not a double, it would be a lot better, of course a lot better, but just better in the specific sense that I think this card would be good in asset decks because it lets you play multiple uh, assets in one turn. Like, you could mm. pick up something that the runner thinks is a psychic field and then install two cards and then install two more cards, but since it's a double that you don't actually gain apart from uh, returning something to your hand, which is not usually the best just because if you're playing an asset deck, you want your face-down cards to have value even if your opponent thinks they're psychic field. Um, for yep. example. So the fact that this doesn't actually gain you any click advantage, I think, is the biggest thing keeping it from playability um, in those kind of decks. Mm. I definitely agree with you there. The next card in the pack is the first NBN card. It's an asset advertisement. And Brian, I think it's very fortuitous oh. that you're here. My, my uh, ears pricked up. This <laughs> my ears pricked up when you said advertisement. Yeah. Both this <laughs> and the next card, I was thinking, could see the return of a Spark Agency deck. So oh, maybe yes. this will spark you to be more interested in Netrunner. Let's see. Oh, wow. So it's a zero to res, two to trash asset called CPC Generator. It says the first time the runner spends a click to gain a credit each turn, not through a card effect, gain one credit. So in the aforementioned Spark Agency deck, mm. Brian, what does this do for you? Well, that is pretty spicy. If you do manage to put this down, like the fact that it's a res zero is really cool. You can, like my favorite thing to do in the Spark deck for those who, for the devotees who may remember me going on and on about it, was to uh, res, uh, put down two advertisements uh, on the first turn, 
res one at the end of your turn to put your opponent down to four. Then at the beginning of the runner's turn, you res another one, bring them down to three. Uh, like 85% of the time, the runner will then spend a click to gain a credit because they usually want to build up to a short gamble or something, or through credits isn't that much to, don't have much to do with it. Um, and if you've got this as well, and you just gain a, you just gain a little bit of extra benefit. But other than that, I don't think you can play this outside of Spark Agency, can you? Like, cause it's Probably pretty, not. it's pretty dry otherwise, right? Wilfie, do you agree? Yeah, I think your assessment is pretty reasonable um at the best case scenario in the best case scenario it's a pad campaign drips for one each turn with zero to res to the trash which is okay but i'm not sure if that's better than pad campaign is itself and we already have pad campaign and nasx as well as launch like lots of pad campaign lots of pad campaign analogs so i think the main benefit to this card will as you said be in spark where uh every credit matters early and it's there's a much higher likelihood that this is going to trigger each each turn just because you can try and squeeze the runner in their credits as your central game plan so i think that's the best way to make something like this good i think that in most decks you'd rather have the guaranteed one and the higher trash cost in pad campaign uh, or another similar pad campaign like um, without the advertisement ability I mean not that uh, of course pad campaign is also an advertisement but I mean that in the spark deck you probably want more of these effects than in most other decks mm. and could uh, could replanting perhaps have a role in that sort of deck just getting you a few extra credits denied here and there no, probably not a three influence but anyway um, yeah an interesting card nonetheless the next one segues pretty nicely it's an ice cold free lunch it's got some pretty uh morbid looking art there i wouldn't want to be attending that lunch party but anyway it's a three to res four strength code gate it's got two subroutines each read place one power counter on free lunch and the corp can use a hosted power counter to force the runner to lose one credit so if the runner runs into this and doesn't have a code gate breaker they're essentially losing two credits each time they go through it. Uh, but the important thing is that the corp can choose when to force them to lose credits at instant speed because these are power counters, which is probably more powerful than the um, even the turnpike style on encounter ability where the runner can sort of get around it by being on zero credits. What are your thoughts, Wilfie? Um, that in terms of the power counter thing, I think that's something that we haven't really seen before, like something where the main ability of the ice is to gain power counters that you can then unload for some effect like data raven has it sort of but not really in the same way and it's is interesting that you say that you think it's better than the on encounter effect just because you can choose when to use it and they can't get around it by not having any credits but in terms of raw numbers i think this card doesn't really to me compare favorably to pop-up window like it's the same uh, swing and generally I think as the corp you'd rather gain a credit than have the runner you'd rather you gain a credit they lose a credit than them losing two credits but I suppose the fact that they can't run into it with zero credits does swing that a little bit like it, it's and not the... as oh, oh yeah oh I was just going to say the the fact that the spark deck probably given and has more ability to gain credits from its assets so if you kind of get off to a good start this might be able to help you to snowball a little better than just another pop-up window does just because denying them more credits might open you more scoring windows and put you further ahead than you gaining credits at that point since their credits matter more that's true but it's also much less efficient in that sense i think just because you don't get the one from pop-up window in addition to the drain. Like, pop-up window drains them the same amount, but also functionally costs four less, right? That's true. So I think that disparity is fairly large, especially since I'm not sure that you really want to res a three-strength ice that the runner can... Does nothing. Oh, uh, three-cost, sorry. Three-cost, four-strength ice that the runner can basically get through for two credits, no matter what sort of rig they're running. Mm, what are your thoughts, Brian? 
Yeah, you guys pretty much summed up most of my thoughts already. Um, again, if we're looking at the worst case scenario in this, if your opponent has a lot of money and losing the two doesn't matter, they're just walking through this ice that you paid three to res anyway. Um, it is a bit better in Spark, but this is something you can certainly play outside of Spark. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of deck you you want it in, but yeah, that's no, definitely an interesting effect. But uh, I think we've come to learn that ice that doesn't end the run is always not as good as ice that does mm. most of the time. Yep. Uh, excellent. I agree with that for sure. The next card in the pack is an NBN Operation Terminal. It's a caused quite a stir, this card, because of the interaction with Corporate Troubleshooter, which we'll come to in a moment. It's four to play. After you resolve this operation and your action phase, install MCA Informant on a connection as a hosted condition counter with the text, the runner is considered to have one additional tag. The host connection gains click, two credits, trash this card. So, the person oh, who uh, owns the connection <laughs> can trash is this, it. Sorry, I haven't heard about this, but I'm, I'm, I think I know where is it going. Is it very dumb? Is it very silly? Yes. Is it like one of those silly Netrunner things? Yeah. Okay, so the, I'm so excited. The, Go on. <laughs> so, the, the person who owns the connection gains the ability to click pay two credits, trash this card, as in the MCA informant. Um, and if you host it on your own corporate troubleshooter, because it's a connection, then the runner doesn't have the ability to trash it because it's your card. So you gain that ability, which you presumably wouldn't want to do. So the MCA informant is a lot more resilient. Now, going in favor of that still being balanced is the fact that this is a terminal. So they have a whole turn to try and deal with your corporate troubleshooter that you've played the MCA informant on. But if they can't get into the server um, to trash the troubleshooter, then they are tagged and there's no other way they can deal with this. I think so, that's uh, so actually was, quite interesting. So I was correct in thinking that you can trash your own corporate troubleshooter whenever you want and this card will go away because condition counter, but the text, the runner is considered to have one additional tag will remain in the Aether. No? no? I'm confused then. No. So the, the intention of the card is that it's hosted on a runner resource that's a connection, right? Oh, okay. And then the runner has the ability to click to create oh, I see. Yeah. the okay. resource. Yeah. yeah. And if they trash their own resource, then the MCA informant goes away. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So th- there's this tension for the runner where if they keep the re- the connection around, then they're tagged permanently. But if they want to get rid of the tag, they have to trash their own connection. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas if you play this on your troubleshooter, it's you that gains the ability to trash your own troubleshooter by paying a, a click and two credits. Mm-hmm. So um, if you can protect it, then you're good. Then they can't get in and they're tagged. Yeah. Um. But it's terminal, so you can't make use of the tag until the following turn. Except if there's ice and other things that are protecting the troubleshooter that gain extra benefit from tags. Things like Data Ward, uh, the NBN ice that gains um, extra subroutines effectively when the runner's tagged or the subroutines are turned on. Um, Wilfie, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, so there's a couple things about this card. The first is, if we just set aside this corporate troubleshooter nonsense for the time being... um, (laughs) It is nonsense, <laughs> even though we know uh, that that is definitely how it works. It is still a bit silly, um, but it's. I think the main advantage is that it's functionally another way for NBN decks, especially, but really could be any deck, to deal with resources without requiring attack. And we've seen that those kind of cards have have been very strong in the past, like very important, just because of how uh, necessary it can be to potentially deal with a troublesome uh, connection on the runner side and I think especially now that Aaron Moron has been printed that will serve as a fine target for any MCA informants that come by but on the flip side 4 is a lot and the fact that it's terminal does make it like solely a setup card you can't use it mid um, combo, which is uh, as we know from hard-hitting news, that's not necessarily a huge deal if the card is efficient enough, and so the fact that this gives NBN an in-faction way to deal with resources, especially something like uh, New Angeles City Hall 
or Aaron Moran that might otherwise break up your breaking news combo, whatever you want to do with the breaking news, is strong. But I think four is enough that it's not, like, you have to pay a fairly significant cost to gain that effect. Although, the fact that the runner does have to spend a click and two credits to trash it rather than it just being trashed makes the card a lot better, I think. Um, and in terms of the corporate trouble troubleshooter thing, I do think that maybe we could see some influence being spent on troubleshooter in those kind of decks, but I feel like you'd have to build it sort of differently, um, just because you want corporate troubleshooter to be an, a good card on its own. Like you really have to fit in tag punishment, ways to create a server to protect your troubleshooter, and ice that's good with troubleshooter, which is I think hard to fit into one deck. But I could definitely see a couple troubleshooters going in a, a deck just to give you another breaking news style threat where you have the potent, more potential to tag the runner without necessarily requiring any interaction from the runner, which I think is fairly strong. It's got good synergy with a few other cards as well, like Zealous Judge, um, because you can use the Zealous Judge in that you can res it on their turn even after your the terminal operation has ended your turn so there's a a few little interesting interactions i think that people might be able to make work with this card but the the thing for me is that it's four to play which is a lot for an operation uh so unless you're getting some really significant benefit out of it uh, and you're pretty confident you're going to be able to turn some combo on i think it's going to be pretty hard to play this but we'll see how it goes the next card in the pack is Another contender for worst corp card of the year, um, and it is Clyde Van Wright. It's a two to res, three to trash asset executive. It's unique, it's two influence, and it's the first Wayland card in the pack. It says, when your turn begins, the runner must pay one credit or trash the top card of the stack. Brian, is this gonna be making its way into your Wayland decks? Sorry. When the turn begins, the runner must play one credit or trash the top card of the stack. Yep. Okay, so I think you were maybe a bit quick to judge when you said it was like the worst court card ever, because did you consider that maybe you'd mill some of the runner's good cards? No, I didn't actually. Because, I guess yeah, because if, 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 you, if, you, if this fires and it's like a good card, the runner just doesn't get it anymore. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I hadn't thought so, of that. So, I mean, yeah. You can even splash it around. Like, Wilfie, I'm, am I right or what? Like, Yeah, I do think that this card is the uh, a piece in the as-of-yet-not-so-well-explored stack attack strategy. <laughs> um, but I think we would be... It's worth pointing out the Scorpios. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, suppose. I think we yeah. would be, it would be remiss to talk about this card without mentioning Scorpios. Um for those who don't know, i.e. Brian, it's a yeah. 40-15 ID. Um, once per turn when the runner trashes a card from anywhere, you can remove it from the game. Like when it goes to the bin. Uh, okay. That's 40, still kind of edge casey though, right? 40-15 Wayland. Yeah. yeah. I think it's still pretty bad. Yeah, well, yeah. the it's thing the is... Meta, it's nice to be a massive medical. Like Everybody has to be playing like max for you to want to have that effect, right? Or whatever. Or some sort of so, graveyard deck. Yeah, so the thing about Scorpios is that it lets you remove um, any the card of your choice only once per turn when it gets trashed. So it can be an event that they play, it can be a parasite that dies after trashing an ice or whatever. You get to kill something once per turn. Um, ordinarily, that's more likely to happen on the runner's turn because they're playing events, their stuff's getting trashed on their turn usually. Uh, and this gives you... Well, a pseudo guaranteed or consistent opportunity to have one trashed on your turn um, so you can use the ability once on their turn when they play an event and then once on your turn when you trash something with Clyde Van Wright which accelerates it quite significantly the problem is they've got this out of only of paying one credit to avoid the the trash and given that you're going to have trouble protecting a three to trash asset um that you want to hang around for many, many, many turns in order for it to have an effect, and you've already paid two to res it, so the runner can spend really three turns just paying one credit before they're even behind on resources, um, and that's assuming that you value corp and runner resources equally, which I definitely don't in the current metagame because of Temujin. I just think that the investment that this is asking of you as the corp compared to 
what the runner can pay to avoid it, which is a measly one credit for each relevant turn, makes it a pretty awful card. I agree. What do you think, Wolfie? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Brian. It's is super edge casey as well. Um, the next card is Watchtower, and it's a four to res, three strength Wayland Codegate. It's got one subroutine. Search R and D for a card and add it to HQ. Shuffle R and D. So you get your uh, aggressive negotiations on a stick. You don't have to have scored an agenda this turn, but they do have to run an, a code gate that they can't break that's three strength. For me, I don't really want my tutor effects or my search my R&D effects to be reliant on the runner triggering them by running ice. That just seems way too inconsistent if I'm trying to put together a game plan. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, like I don't think there exists a world in which you take uh, another ice out of your deck to put this ice in. Like it's a very powerful effect, sort of. Like it's, I mean, well, it's an effect that we run Project Atlas for, right? Um, but this yeah. is still different to Project Atlas in the fact that it happens during the runner's turn. So, for instance, if this is on HQ, for instance, and you get to... That that can significantly hamper what it is you want to go tutor for because usually one of the things you do with Atlas is you can go and get, like, your two-for-one uh, or, or whatever else. Um, I mean, you can also do silly things like go get a snare and then have to access it or whatever. Um, but, yeah, again, it's only a strength three code gate so the runner can just break it if they don't want you to have that effect. But I think the biggest thing is finding space for, like, a cool ice that can do, like, this extra thing when you'd probably rather have a, like this kind of effect there would be a slot for like an operation or something like that. Yeah, I agree with you there, Wilfie. Mm-hmm. Does this suffer from the same issues as Bloom in your mind? Uh, yeah, like I think I even mentioned uh, Watchtower with Bloom, I suppose, looking at oh, the you pack. Did. Yeah. yeah, I think looking at the pack must have reminded me of its existence, of Watchtower's existence and like, yeah, it's a... It is. It would be a good effect if you had the ability to do it whenever you want, like we've found from Atlas, but just the fact that you can't always make best use of it when the runner decides to run into it and the 4, four to res, 3-strength, three, three 1-subroutine codegate isn't strong enough, I think, that you're going to get it enough of the time when you want it for this card to be good. Makes sense to me. The next card in the pack is one that I'm a little more excited about, actually. It's the third Wayland card. It's called Sacrifice, a zero-cost operation. It's worth pointing out that the subtitle of Jemison Astronautics, which was the identity from the last pack, is Sacrifice, Audacity, Success. And this is the first of those three cards, which all of which we're going to be seeing in this cycle. So Sacrifice reads... As an additional cost to play this operation, forfeit an agenda. Works well with Jemison. Remove one bad publicity per agenda point that the forfeited agenda was worth. Gain one credit for each bad publicity removed, and it's one influence. So for me, I see this as a sort of pseudo-biotic labor. It's uh, got advantages over biotic in that it's zero to play, and you get this additional bad publicity benefit. Um, The downside is that you already need to have an agenda scored, But assuming that you have a one-pointer scored already, a hostile takeover, for example, this functions as the biotic that allows you to score your atlas from hand. So you can chain your two-for-one into a three-for-two using this. So yes, you don't actually gain two points because you're having to sacrifice an agenda to do that, and that's the downside. But having the ability in Wayland, which hasn't really had fast advanced tools before, to not only remove the bad publicity from your hostile takeover, um, and if you are if you have a, a no-birth protocol, um, in addition, you can turn two, um, two for ones into a five for three. Um, because you go install, res obirth, play sacrifice, and at that point, you've got two counters on it. And then you go... Re- uh, oh, sorry, at that point, you've got four counters on it. Two from resing the Oberth, two from the Sacrifice. And then you advance with your last click. All right, so actually, you can get six. 
counters. So you could turn two hostels into a vanity project. Anyway, it, it's, it stacks very well with Oberth. It stacks very well with Jemison. Um, and I think that it, it opens up a lot of creative plays given that it's an operation. And unlike Oberth, you don't actually have it to have it sitting on the board for a turn um, in order to get the maximum benefit from it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to trying it out. It may not turn out to be the best thing ever, given that scoring your hostels and finding them in the early turns can be a bit of a challenge, but um, it, it's certainly got the power and the synergy with that ID to, to be something that's worth considering. Brian, do you have any thoughts? Have you had a chance to look at Jemison? I was going to say, I'm going to just pass over to Wilfie because this sounds like it uh, requires a lot of knowledge of cards that I don't know the text of. Uh, when I first yeah, saw this card, I'm pretty sure I sent it to you as like, lol, 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 how excited are you for this terrible looking card? Um, so I think if we were to look at it in a complete vacuum without the cards that you were talking about, I think it's kind of average-ish, I think. Uh, like, I think someone said the coolest thing you can kind of do with it. Um, I mean, obviously, if you don't have your Jemison plan or Oberth or whatever it was you were going on about, it would be to yeah. remove the uh, bad publicity you gained off your fracking, which is kind of cool. Um, but then you also lose the two points uh, and from the four for two that you scored, which seems bad to me. Uh, Wilfie? I think my issue with this card, if I can, if, if I had to pick one, was that I feel like from my experience with Jemison, either playing with it or against it, the hardest games are already the ones where you don't get to score uh, your cheap agendas early. Like, you have so many things that rely on having small agendas scored and not really that many small agendas. Like, you only have hostile. And, of course, you can um, forfeit your atlases if you want to, if they're going to advance your game plan, but it's a bit uh, iffy to have to rely on doing that and like I know that we're going to get standoff soon so hopefully that should ameliorate it somewhat but I always feel like there are going to be always in Jemison decks more slots for things cool things that you can do with your agendas as resources compared to agendas that you're okay to to lose um and the fact that this won't even benefit you like more than any forfeited agenda card will if you in in the sense of triggering Jamison Jamison, excuse me. Um when you sack your standoff is that that's a card, right? The two two for zero? Yeah. Yeah, the fact that sacrifice doesn't do anything particularly special with standoff really makes me um wonder how you're going to fit sacrifice in your deck with all the constraints that Jemison deck building already has to be good. No, that's a fair point. Um, the one thing I think that it has going for it is that it is the first operation or the first playable operation that lets you sacrifice as opposed to Corporate Town and um, Oberth that you want to have on the board and Archer, which is obviously nice. But yeah, that's it may or may not be enough to get it over the line. The next card in the pack is the final corp card, and it's a neutral ice called Self-Adapting Code Wall. This is the, the pack for strangely like weird mid-range barriers. Uh, the strength of Self-Adapting Code Wall cannot be lowered, and it's got one subroutine that is end the run. It's one strength, zero influence. Brian, how does this compare in your mind to the existing small barrier options? I mean, Wall of Statics, the other three-cost neutral barrier that's been around since the core set. This one can't be trashed by Parasite. Is that enough to make up for the loss of two strength? Uh, no, I think if I were to consider playing this card, the res cost would have to be one or zero. But then again, I ask a lot of cards. I've been told I ask a lot of cards, but at the same time, there always seems to be a lot of cards that I think could do better. So I'm not sure if that's a reflection on me or the design philosophy. Um, mm. I wouldn't want to play this card, I don't think. Um, there, I think we've spoken about in the past that the reason you want, you know, just simple end the run ice, which I guess subsequently has low strength, is because you're playing an aggressive deck. And if you're playing an aggressive deck, you don't want to drop three credits on... Uh, a, p a piece of ice just ends the run like I suppose you can consider that at the very worst it's always going to cost your opponent one credit because they can't get rid of it at least not with Parasite but uh, I, I don't know I find it pretty uninspiring personally 
if it costs one or zero, uh, yeah, I'm all in. But then it's probably just like a bit unupgraded. It's just straight power creep for uh, paper wall or uh, what's the other the other one? Vanilla. Yeah. Vanilla. Yeah. Wilfie, on the putting aside the um, power of the card and going straight to the flavor, the self-adapting code wall. Does it seem strange to you to have the word code in the <laughs> barrier? Like, doesn't that tend to indicate that it's a code gate? Even the term self-adapting. Right? I don't. I don't think you understand. It's not a gate. It's a wall. <laughs> of course. It's a self-adapting code gate. The big on your face, but. Yeah, are you not aware that <laughs> gates and walls are fundamentally different things? Okay, okay, so... That explains so why Jesse are... jumps his front fence every morning rather than just using <laughs> the gate that's there. Yeah, maybe that's the source of our issues. <laughs> yeah. Some terminology. So barriers are code walls, are they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've had ice walls since the corset, right? Wall of static. Yeah, but it's not ice It's not ice code wall, is it? <laughs> well, it, it you know, well, they're all made of code, right? Yeah. Like, at the end yeah. of the day. So why have it on this one and none of the others? Self, because, I don't know, maybe self-adapting wall is a different card. <laughs> so I, I sort of take issue with the flavor more so with, like, where is the self-adapting coming from? The only thing this thing does is it doesn't die to Parasite. Is it's this like, like a like super is this like, card No, wall. no, is this like a really, like, meta, like, meta name? Because, like, oh, our design have has adapted to the state of the meta so this is a self-adapting wall I think now it needs to be immune to parasite fine. because I will, is okay. I will speculate on the flavor of this card just to say that mm-hmm. I think self-adapting is like it's protected from like parasite or whatever which like eats your ice like a virus you know if you were something and you had an immune system then you would adapt to the parasite to like uh, become so it is immune a medical, to it right like it is like a meta joke is that what that is or, or is it more like a Wolverine sort of thing? Oh, like the healing factor. Anyway, on the yeah. card itself, um, <laughs> the fact that it's the same amount of credits, the same number of credits to break as basically... The fact that it's the same number of credits to break as vanilla is for basically all of the playable fractors that I can think of. It's the same for Paperclip, it's the same for Corroda. Um, and it's the same. I.e. all the playable fractors. <laughs> well, and it's the same for Faust, right? Faust, you know, yeah. Um, means that you're really paying a lot. You're paying three credits for the ability to be resilient to Parasite rather than um, weak to Parasite like Vanilla is. But I'm not really sure that's worth it just because I feel like the plan, the, the aim of putting Vanilla in your deck... Um, is that you can spend your credits doing things that adva- advance your game plan rather than spending it on ice. So, this And you're probably of... reasonably happy for them to parasite your vanillas a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, if they're spending their parasites on that those ice, then they're not spending them on your larger ice. Yeah, so, I don't know. I think this card is a bit below the curve, but, you know, I do think it's important. I do think it is. it could be relevant that we now have a neutral... Um, ice with this ability in case you really for some reason need to have it in your deck but the numbers I think just aren't quite there yeah it's certainly not as powerful as Lotus Field in terms of taxing the breaker once you've turned off the parasite option alright that brings us to the end of the corpse side of station 1 we hope you've enjoyed this dive into the second pack of the red sand cycle it's been an absolute pleasure having the big bad wolf back on the show um Thanks for coming on, Brian, and no, no I think problem. you had you really a special message my, for our uh, listeners. I know. Thank you for inviting me on. It was lovely spice up to our uh, to my Sunday night. It was uh, it was very nice. I hope you have me back again at some point. I did envision my return being at like episode two hundred or whenever the next annual. If you're still going to do like a super exciting annual special, most definitely. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and for those of you who have missed me, if I hope you have. Anyway, um, I have a new podcast coming out uh, on the 5th of April, Wednesday Australia time. It's called Depression and Dragons, and it is a series of interviews and spoken word fiction based on fact, true stories of people dealing with very serious issues and finding the help they need in gaming and gaming communities. So uh, hopefully people will enjoy it. Um, And maybe if you've just missed my sultry ballot baritone, you can tune in and check it out there as well. 
Yeah, and I think that those of you uh, out there who listen to the winning agenda over the over our journey will have certainly noticed that Brian had a very strong focus not only on mental health generally, but on supportive gaming communities, supportive gaming spaces, and on um, helping people to get the most out of their time in gaming communities. So it would be a great listen, I'm sure, to hear your thoughts and the thoughts of some of your guests on, on all those issues in a bit more depth. Mm, excellent. Thank you. And what's the name of the podcast? One more time for those who want to find uh, it. It's Depression and Dragons. You can find it. Uh, you can't find it on Facebook yet, but as of April 5th, you can find it there. You can shoot me an email to depressionanddragons at gmail.com if you'd like to be added to the mailing list. And you can already find us on Twitter at Dep and dragons and it's always and a and d not the ampersand excellent thanks brian and thank you all for listening if you want to get in touch with the winning agenda you can do so at the winning agenda on facebook you can tweet us at winning agenda or you can send us an email at the winning agenda at gmail.com if you want to throw a few dollars our way and support the work we do you can head along to www.patreon.com slash the winning agenda and throw a few dollars our way uh wilfie Thank you for coming on tonight. No problem. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode tonight. Thank you for listening. And I'm very sorry for calling you my sidekick. <laughs> That's okay. Um, we'll deal with it. Although, I will just uh, make a quick aside to say that I can't wait to explore uh, viroid human relations in Terminal Directive if we ever get it on our shores. Yes, and... Uh... In terms of what exactly Wilfie means by we'll discuss me calling him my sidekick later, I guess you guys will know <laughs> when you tune in next week to find whether or not we have a new host of The Winning Agenda. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hopefully I will anyway, with the uh, runner side of Station 1. Until then, good night. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening.